Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay, a couple comments and we'll go to the next one. Josh Giddy says, Jeremy, can you see Connor Bedard being better than Connor McDavid? No. No, I cannot. Now, will he be... A, like almost as good and have a couple Stanley Cups to McDavid's none. And then, and then, then it doesn't matter if he's as good as him. Um, I'd like to see him have some of that team success as well, but I'd like to see Connor McDavid have that. But skill wise, I just can't. I think McDavid is far and away the best player we've seen technically as a technical player. I'm not talking about his leadership skills. I'm not, I'm just talking about his, or his, or even his, his 200 foot skills. I'm just talking about, uh, you know, stick handling and vision and hockey IQ. I don't know if anyone's been better than him since Mario Lemieux, really. Uh, Hobby Champ says, I miss Rob's take, so he didn't pay for a card, not the end of the world. We've done episodes on that. That's a whole other other topic. Uh, Dan says, Rob was a very valuable member of the hobby, and I wish he would come back. We're talking about Rob Gerard here. These comments are about Rob Gerard, the former sports card therapist. Um, Joe says, Dave is making me want to pull out my 59 Gibson sweet card, and cool to have that extra layer of connection. Definitely, definitely. Isn't that nice when you hear a comment like that? Dave, you've inspired someone to want to pull out one of their cards and have a look at it. Like, that's just fun. That's just fun. Uh, Dan says, I just did an entire show on my channel to celebrate my uncle's 100th birthday by profiling his favorite team, the 1948 Braves, a team that I PC for family reasons. Like, yeah, that's that's such a cool uh, way to approach a hobby is having that, just those extra reasons versus because they're, they're popular, they're, you know, just there's uh, there are some really nice reasons to collect certain cards out there. Okay, Dave, how do you like your vintage? That's one. Of, that's one of my questions that I'm I like to ask people. You know, you can you can say to somebody, "How do you like your? How do you take your coffee?" I want to know from you, Dave. How do you take your vintage? And I'll let you answer. I think people understand what the question's getting at. Yeah, it has to start with centering. My, my eyes uh, go to centering first, and. I forget who said it. Um, somebody said, you know, you wouldn't hang the Mona Lisa, right? If half the picture was off the frame. That's and yeah, that might that, be Maddie C. It was, it was Maddie C collection, yeah. right? It was Maddie C. And I'm the same way. So I don't mind if my corners are, are bent or rounded. In fact, it makes me think that a card is, so is its age, which I think is kind of nice, right? But it's got to be centered. Even when I'm scrolling through eBay on my phone and the pictures are small, before I've even zoomed in, 
I just have an eye. I can look right away and go, no, no, no. You know, I don't, I'd like it to be centered right to left and I don't like it to be sitting high or low. I can, I can take 55, 45. That's, that's fine. Um, and, and for certain cards, even maybe, maybe 60, 40, um, but not much more than that. It, it, it's like, if I, I cannot unsee it. Um, I don't mind a little crease, but it cannot be in the face. Oh, so I have to jump in before you, I want to do this. I want to make yeah. sure I do this before you do. I want to call out Bob Hosta from your yes. recent episode mm-hmm. that I listened to today. And that's what is driving this question. I'm asking you, how do you take your vintage is your episode with Bob Hosta. I'd like everyone to go, you know, if you have time, go listen to that on the shallow end podcast. Uh, because what Bob said was that he doesn't mind some creasing, but his number one rule is no creases through the player's face. And I think that's a, re- I mean, that's a pretty important guideline to have, I think. So uh, I just wanted to shout him out because that's what drove this question. And now I'm going to hand it back to you. Yeah. And so it's, uh, his, his IG is Bob Hosta collection. So and he's worth a follow some really such a thoughtful guy. I love talking with him. Um, so centering us first. Um, don't mind busted up corners. That's fine. I don't mind edges that are a little rough and cracking. That doesn't bother me at all. Um, I'd like the color to be as vibrant as possible. If there's a little bit of fading, that's okay. Um, but, um, but I do not like the registration to be off that, that don't like that. So say if I were ever to get a 48 leaf, uh, um, um, Stan Musial, right. Sometimes you can just see the outline, which is just, you can see how far off it is sometimes. So that would bug me a little bit. Um, like Bob, I don't mind a crease as long as it's not, it's not on the face, but number one for me is, is centering. And then number two is, is the color has got to be close to um, as vibrant as it can be, but yeah, cut my corners off. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, no, mm-hmm. I'm the way I answer that question is like you, you gave us the specifics and I can do that too. But the way I answer that question is I want my vintage to look its age. If it looks, if those corners if those corners of my 1933 Gaudis are like super like sharp that they would, you know, they could cut you. Like, I don't know that just, it doesn't feel natural to me to have a card from 1933 with squared off corners. It just, I want my cards to look their age. Now I don't necessarily want them to have been crumpled up and flattened out again, but like you Centering is important. It's not the end all be all. What's more important to me, though, is registration. The folk, as you were talking, the focus of the card. I want my car. I don't, you know, you remember when you used to take pictures with an actual camera and get the film developed. Uh, you know, most of us remember that. If there were, there were sometimes pictures that came out blurry, you probably didn't keep those. You probably threw those in the garbage because they were no good to you. I don't want a card that has terrible registration. A little bit of a registration issue is okay to the extent that it does not impact the overall aesthetic of the card. The overall eye appeal, and like, you know, 48 Leaf is pretty famous for having some pretty blurry off-registered cards. So, yeah, I like them to look their age, be as well-centered as possible, strong as strong registration as possible, and also to not be, like you said, I don't want a scuffed surface either. Um, I have one card in my collection that's like that, but it has everything else going for it that I still, I still love it. It's a my it's my 33 sport kings uh eddie shore actually talking about an old card um so yeah i i want my don't want i don't want my borders of my 53 parkhurst or my 52 tops let's say to be white as can white as rice you know like i want them to be to show that they've actually breathed a little bit over the past uh 70 years or so so um yeah a little bit little bit of granularity there but at the end of the day 
I like my vintage to look its age. And um, yeah, you know, yeah. Which, which ties into grading and all that. Like, I, listen, I'm all I'm all for grading for various reasons, but I am not prisoner to the grade. If I see a four that I like more than a six or a two that I like more than a four, you know, taking budget into consideration, I'll buy that two all day long and say, forget the four. I'll probably save some money too. So, yeah. yeah. I agree. I agree with all that you said. And I would also add too, I don't like, I don't like snow on there either. When, when, when hard I, to get away from it on some cards though. It is, it is. Um, but for some of those, I will tend to just maybe not even want the card at that point. Right. Um, but yeah, like you're talking about grading, you know, um, when it comes to vintage, when it comes to grading, I kind of like it just to be slabbed, right? Just because somebody who was more professional and more trained than I has said that the card is authentic, right? And and for me, it's not so much, and, and for so many other people as well, I'm, I'm not being original with this, but I think I just like my vintage slab because I have more of a sense of security that the card is is what it's supposed to be as well. And also for the preservation. Yeah, well, oh, of course, right? To authenticity, preservation is nice too. There's other ways to preserve, but authenticity, definitely. And event, and the other thing for me, you know, as a as a father, you know, is that like, should something happen, I don't, it's just going to be easier for my wife, my kids, whomever to ultimately dispose of these things if they're graded i think i think that's it's almost like succession planning estate planning grading you know you you, you know i don't want to get i don't want to you know knock on wood and all that sort of thing but you, you just never know and so i think it's important for those reasons as well um and of course if you are in the buy sell game it's much easier to sell something that is graded because at least there is a third party um i i can't i can't say objective without me and mean it so i'm not going to say an objective opinion I think they want to be objective a lot of the time, but it's just really difficult to be. Um, but anyway, I think there's lots of good, lots of good about it. Let's go back to the cards for a second. T. Jones says, "I despise that centering has gained more prominence in overall condition. The 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 corners add rare. I'm not sure what you're saying, T. Dot, but uh, I get the yeah. A lot of people, not everybody needs centering. Uh, not funny. Welcome to the show. Not funny says I'll take any example at the right price." then I can always look to upgrade. Yeah, I don't, I won't, I won't take any example at the right price. Um, not personally, I won't, but hey, that's just, that's a strategy. And I'm sure it's working for you. Mike Petty says each card has different qualities that add to the beauty. Not every card has to be centered. That's why I'm the king or I'm the low I appeal king. And I, lo- I love that approach too. Yeah, we don't all have to be prisoner to some of these things. Um, Bob Hosta says a crisp card with a pinhole is fantastic. An instant uh, PSA one really is what it is. And I, I completely, completely agree with that comment. 100%. Bra- Mookie says breaking Iowa man hates snow. <laughs> yes. Hobby champs orders are centering registration corners edges in that order. That's my order too. That is my order. Exactly. How I look at car, how I assess condition uh, for my own liking. That's exactly how I do it. TDOS says I appeal is huge on a card like the Gretzky rookie. Yeah, if the card isn't in focus, I move on. Same here. Same here. Hobby Champs says back centering also means a lot to me, means less to me, means less to the technical grading uh, companies as well, but um, means a lot less to me, actually. 
So it doesn't mean a lot to me, like the top chance. It means a lot less because I do spend most of my time looking at the front. But like Dave said earlier, there's something to be said for appreciating the backs of cards. Where do you fall on centering on the back, Dave? It doesn't bother me as much, right? I I don't like a miscut on the back. I I like to be able to read all the content. Um, I like the, uh, the 71. I like the 71 Kareem a lot. I don't collect basketball. If I did, I would start with that card. Um, but that card often will cut off. Uh, it'll hang so low on the back that you can't see the bottom of it. Um, but no, it less, less so. I just I need I need the front. I need I need the display side to be centered. Otherwise, I just I don't. It makes me itch. Well, here's a bre- here's a, a breaking opinion right here. Chris C says I don't have to have vin- a vintage card that's graded either. Well, that's true, right? I totally hear that. You definitely definitely do not have to have a, a card. They don't have to all be graded, and it depends where you get it from. If you're buying a card from, you know, somebody who found them in the attic after 60 years, you know, it's probably good if they legit found it in the attic after 60 years, or you're buying it from a guy who's had a card shop for 45 years and you know him and trust him, you know, then you don't need to worry about authenticity. Uh, You can buy it that way and still still enjoy it. The cardboard corner says that has been my outlook as well. Jeremy, so many people say that they grade PC with SGC or PSA for resale. Aren't all of our collections going to be resold eventually? Unless you are literally buried with them, yes, they're going to be sold eventually. Cardboard Corner, I agree with that, and I think, um, I think a lot. Of, yeah, I mean, you're doing your, you're doing your uh, heirs a disservice by, by thinking that if your cards go to zero, you don't care if you're not taking care of them, that kind of thing. But in any event, yeah, eventually everything's going to hit the market again, right, Dave? I mean, even cards that are locked away forever, there is no such thing as forever uh, in this hobby because we, as collectors, are not forever. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. No, and you just have to ask yourself, is it going to be resold by you or is it going to be resold after you? Exactly, exactly. Oh, there's some other things that come out of that. Okay, but let's, let's, we'll save those. For okay, I wanted to now talk about your episode with the six questions and we've already yeah. touched on a couple of them, but let's just kind of run through. So guys, Dave did an episode. You got to go back and listen to it to get it, you know, his original episode. I've listened to it three times in all honesty. I find it to be that um, enlightening. And Dave, the, fr- the 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 summary of the of this episode is that when you are looking to purchase a card, you have a you have a filter, and that filter is con- consists of six questions that you ask yourself before you make that purchase. So, do you want to go through these questions one at a time? Would you like me to kind of tee them up for you one at a time? How do you want to do this? I think it's important we get through these. Yeah, I'll I'll just go through it, and I just want to say first that that it's not perfect, right? And the, and I came up with these questions because through trial and error and through making some bad purchases and a lack of focus. And so um, even now, since I've come up with these six questions, I sometimes forget to even go through them. I just, I let impulse take over and I go. Um, but here's the first one. The first one that I ask is, is do I want to look at the card or do I just want to own it? And I think it was Dan earlier who made the point about the the aesthetics and the art, artistry of a card. And that really matters. And I mentioned before the 87 Don Russ, Bo Jackson rated rookie. And the reason that I couldn't part with that when I was getting rid of a bunch of things a few weeks ago to, to, uh, to buy this other card is that card to me is Bo. 
right? Um, I mean, he is just jacked in that baseball uniform, and that's how I remember him being, right? That car, it's dark. He's looks like he's playing catch, almost like he's in the field of dreams. It's it is a beautiful card. Um, on the other hand, the '87 top smart McGuire. It's just another shot of a baseball player standing there in his in his stance. That's all it is. Um, did I want to have that card? Yeah, because it made me. It was I was it was nostalgic, right? But I didn't want to look at it, and and that's what I mean by do you want to have it? You have it, you know. Then what? Okay, so you've got it, but you actually want to take out this card and look at it and appreciate what it looks like. And, and I think that's such a great filter to run your potential purchases through. Are you going to, there are, there are cards, Dave, that I will literally make a little stack, you know, from where, where I keep them. Some of them are right here in this room. I'll make a stack and I will carry them up to my bedroom with me and I'll put them on my night table. And as I'm falling asleep, I will look at the cards front and the back and I will just kind of, you know, enjoy them. I don't do that with all my cards, but cards like that, you know, it also ties, ties into the, the want versus need. Like, do you get a feeling from a card when you look at it? And there's a couple cards that I've purchased, Dave, where I see it hit the online marketplace and for seven or 10 days or two weeks, whatever, I am going and looking at that every single day to see where the bid is at and just to, to look at it. And as I'm looking at it, some cards, I'm like, I am winning this no matter what. I am going to war over this card. And this is a war I'm going to win. Um, I've gone to war and lost cards. It happened to me last week. You know, some, you know, you can't win every war you get into to win a card. But um, yeah, some cards you want to look at and you're going to enjoy over and over again. And some, you just end up putting them away. And then when you go through your process of deciding if you're going to keep them, however often you do that, maybe you can convert that back into some other resources right into another another yep. card. Okay. So do you want to own the card or do you or or do you sorry do you want to own the card and look at it or do you just want to own the card? If you want to own it and look at it, it passes and 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 then I my question is then do you go to the next question or no they're not in any order. This is just the order that happened to come out of come out of my my mouth. Right. So the second question was do I want this card or do I need this card? And, and, and you said it better than I could just now. You know, sometimes you look at something and that's it. I'm going to get this card. Everybody else bidding, bad news. You're going to lose this time, right? I'm going to get it. And if you find yourself drifting off at night thinking about it, you're driving to work and you're thinking about it, that's a pretty good sign that this is a card that you need, right? Sometimes you go through something and think, oh, I like that. But then you don't think about it anymore. And then it appears in your, it's on your watch list for a week, two weeks, two months. And you keep forgetting that it's there. I get rid of it. I, I don't want, I, I like it. The idea of it might be nice, but when I find myself unable to get it out of my brain, that's when I know that there's something there. There's, there's there, there, if that's going to happen. Yeah. And so in your episode, you, you took it a step further. You actually were, were kind of talking um, about like, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about the card, are you having like this, this almost like a visceral lust for the card or is it something that you are just looking to acquire to fulfill like a, a temporary need, like maybe some retail therapy or you haven't picked up anything for a while. So, you know, what am I going to buy? And, you know, this card looks good. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to buy it. It's like, how do you, how do you Dave recognize that you might not be truly lusting for the card where you actually like need it versus want it? 
It's and temporary. It's temporary moments of clarity, right? And within the within the fog of collecting, I have these temporary moments of collecting where, where I know what I'm like, where I know that I get ideas, and these ideas are just half baked. T today, for example, I was thinking, should I start collecting Ichiro? And then I was just like, no, no, you shouldn't. You should not start collecting Ichiro. I love Ichiro. Um, I mean, a lot, just as this, God, I, I love Ichiro so much. But I already have enough going on. But on on um on ebay right now is his 2004 tops chrome red x fractor um not numbered but there were less than 70 of those made and the albert pujols of that card is the number one card on my want list for this year um last time there was one on ebay i think was end of 22 i didn't know how rare they were at the time um i should have jumped then but i saw an ichiro one and i think i sort of correlated the two Right where I thought, oh well, I want the Pujols one. That's hard to find, and this is the first Ichiro one that's come up for a while. I want that, but I also want his O2 Tops Chrome Gold. And then I had to step away and say, no, nope, no. And so I don't know how that happened, but for whatever reason, you know, I just had a temporary moment of clarity. I wish there was something more scientific or logical to it, but I just got lucky on that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's a uh, couple of comments here that have come in, and then we'll get we're going to get to skip uh, the 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 qu question. Four, or no, we're, we're, we're going to get to question three here in a moment. We're going to skip four, and then we'll go to five, because we already covered question four. Uh, Dan's Vintage says, the, in quotes, no matter what, cards. I know them well, and we, I think we all have, well, most people I know, I certainly have a couple no matter what cards uh, out there. Mookie says, I ask a similar question, Dave. If I wouldn't put a potential purchase on a shelf in my museum, maybe I will hold off. See, that's a great question for Mookie, who has a museum. Uh you, you need, you know, that's, we, I, I think one of the takeaways for people and for me included in this episode is Dave has got his six questions that he stumbled into, you know, kind of by trial and error and their thought, he's put a lot of thought into it and you'll, you'll know that by listening to his episode, but they don't have to be our questions. We can come up with another, you know, questions for yourself uh, that, 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 that work for you. El Toro Loco said earlier that it makes it easier on your family. Yes. If you are, having your cards somewhat uh especially you know vintage important cards graded for your ultimate upon your ultimate demise of course uh not won't talk much more about that t dot wants to know, what card did i go to war for last week and not win it was a 2021 upper deck the cup timu solani emblems of endorsement and i i took a knife to a gunfight for that one dave i wasn't even close i think i was a uh, fourth highest but a great a war that I lost. Okay, next question had to do. Oh, we kind of addressed this one. It had to do with the rookie cards, but I'm going to let you speak to it if if there's anything more to say than what we said earlier. Yeah, it was more with rookie cards. It was more asking myself, do I want this card because of this player because it it is the rookie card or because I actually like the card, right? You know, if if the later year cards are more attractive and more affordable, why would I buy the rookie card? Sometimes you buy the rookie just because it's the rookie and I, not you, me. That's what I would ask myself. I would realize I was doing that and I would get the rookie card and realize I was just getting it because I thought that I should have it. And so that was the foundation of that question. Got it. Yeah. And it's because it's like I I used to say that everybody, everybody who collects hockey cards should have a Wayne Gretzky rookie card. And I, you know, you can go back to my content from three, two, three years ago and probably hear me say that a few times a year. And I, I don't know that I believe that anymore. And I'm 
I think I'm entitled to change my thoughts on these sorts of things as well, because I'm evolving, you know, and, and developing new ideas and, and soaking in new ideas from other people who, whose ideas I respect and, and, and listen to. And, uh, I don't know that that's the case anymore for me that I, that I think that, and, you know, of course, not everybody needs to have any single card, but you know, more of a generalization that if you're a basketball collector, do you need to have a Michael Jordan 86 Fleer? debatable if it's a rookie card or not but do you need to have an 86 uh michael jordan fleer card maybe maybe not i i don't know so i i like that that's a question that you ask i think it's an important question that you ask 89 upper deck griffey if you collect baseball do you have to have the 89 upper deck griffey mm-hmm. i mean there are about 2.5 million out there so i recently sold mine dave i i sold mine because i have griffey cards a couple that i like a lot more and i just i thought you know what i don't need that card it's cool but if I want one, it goes back to what we were talking about way earlier in the show. If I want one, I have my choice of thousands of them any night of the year. I can go find one if I want one. Or I can go mm-hmm. buy a raw copy for 10 or 15 bucks at the next card show and have that card if I really want one. So, okay, that was the rookie question. So that was question three. Question four is then what, which we've covered. Question five, why don't you, why don't you tell us what question five is? Question five is me literally asking myself, you realize you're not going to get make any money on this card, right? So basically what I'm hoping for is just not to, if I ever have to move a card, thinking that if nothing else, maybe I'll just break even, right? Meaning I don't want to buy something that is sort of the flavor of the day. Um, not a Kaboom guy, right? Will Kabooms hold long-term value? Will the Mangas hold long-term value? Like maybe, I don't know, but they could just be trendy now. And if, if I'm really into one, then 15 years from now, maybe once I see that 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 I won't be just flushing money, um, that's you know that's kind of what I think about. But that being said, is I should not be buying any card thinking that I'm I'm buying this card to flip it. This card is not going to make me rich. It's not going to be the 89 tops future stars Greg Jeffries, right? Which is what everybody was going for before they realized they should have been going for for Griffey. 85 tops Eric Davis, right? The 84 Don Russ, Don Mattingly. Those, I mean, those are the dreams that I filled my head with when I was younger. And you would think that being older, family and kids and a job that that would no longer be how I think. But at first, when I got back into the hobby, I was thinking, oh, oh, this car is going to be worth a lot. And they weren't. They absolutely were not. Um, this It's just my very long-winded way of saying what everybody else says, which is just buy what you like, buy what you think makes sense um, for you, and stop trying to think that this is your 401k. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that's fair. I think um, it, it's one thing to, you know, you, you can purchase sports cards with the intention of selling them for more than you bought them for, or like keeping up with inflation, let's say. Uh, you said very well in one of your episodes that... If I buy it for $40 today and I can sell it 20 years from now for $40 and my initial thought was, yeah, but you've, 
the time value of money and inflation, you, you've lost money. But then, then that, that thought went through my head really quickly. And then you said, but I've had, I've had 25 years of enjoyment from the card. Well, that makes up for the loss of time value of money and inflation because you had a, you received a benefit from owning that card, which was an emotional benefit, which was worth the money. I mean, you know, you, you, go, you go into a movie at eight o'clock for, for 20 bucks. You come out of that movie two hours later, you have zero bucks. Does that mean you shouldn't have gone to the movie? You know, you Function. had two hours of entertainment. Yeah, function and utility matter, right? right. You know, if, if I buy a brand new couch for $800 and 15 years now from now I sell it for $200, I am not losing money. I got 15 years of utility out of the couch and got some money back out of it too. Now, obviously, I do not want to lose 75% on a card. That's a little bit different. But as long as I'm breaking even, fine, good enough. Or lose, even losing a bit is okay, too, yeah, right? Sure. I mean, yeah. It depends what you're in it for. If you're, if you are, if you are not really a collector, you don't, if you don't have, anyway. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying sports cards or couches. Right. <laughs> uh, T dot made this comment. He says, you should have a collection of top tier rookies in a sport that you collect. So I'm going to, I, I want to, I just want to kind of play devil's advocate on this question for a moment, because just like I said, are you, you should everyone should have a Wayne Gretzky rookie if you collect hockey. Well, I don't really think anyone, T Dot or myself, should say to anybody, you should have this in your collection because I don't walk in your shoes. I don't know what you should have. You know what you should have. You know what you want. I don't want to tell anybody what they should have. Then I think about this question, Dave. I think to myself, well, okay, so if I collect hockey and now I, I so does that mean that I have to have a, a Gordy Howe rookie and a Bobby Orr and a Wayne Gretzky and a Mario Lemieux. Well, those are very hard to afford for most people. So now I feel inadequate because I can't afford it maybe, but I should, but someone's telling me I should have it. So I don't know. I think, I think that's too strong of a statement, but then I think about, okay, well maybe I don't collect vintage. So I don't want those guys. I didn't see them play. Why should I have them? Maybe I should have top tier rookies in this, in the sport today. Well, we know how expensive some top tier rookie you want even a young gun Sidney Crosby are spending a couple thousand dollars. So I I hear what T Dot's saying and I, I I live by it myself. I want to have that myself, but I don't want to tell anybody else you should do this anymore. When I see a comment like that, and, and I respect the question, T Dot, you should have a collection of top tier rookies in a sport you collect. My response is why? Why should I? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's where I'm, and this is this is sort of newer for me, Dave. And maybe I'm maybe I'm listening to you and, and, and others. I don't know, but um, or maybe even going through the process of moving off of some cards that I've had for years and being okay with it. I sold, I, I moved some cards that I've had for years, like key rookie cards, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s rookies, and I don't miss them, mm-hmm. which is no. really nice to be able to say. And, you know, not only do I not miss them, if I want them, if I do end up missing, like I sold my Reggie and I missed it and I reacquired it and I missed it right away. It was like, damn, I'm, I love that card. But a Marc Messier rookie, I can go find another Marc Messier rookie whenever. I'm not in a rush. I got some cool Messier cards in the collection. Um, Bob Hosta says you can never underestimate the utility value of ownership. And I, uh, you nodded right there, Dave. Um, do you want to add some context to that? I, I think I, I know what he's saying, but I'd like to hear kind of your thoughts on, 
you know, why can't we underestimate the utility value of ownership? Right. Ownership gives you, it, it, it gives you, there's emotional value, right? There's social value. There's all sorts of fulfillment that you get. And I, I think that's what Bob's trying to say, right? When you own a card, when you send your money over to, to or trade some cards to, to acquire a card, just owning it itself gives you some sort of utility. It, there, there, is, there is function to it. And I do not think that should be underestimated. I, I'm, now I'm as well as I'm quoting what Bob said. I'm, I'm saying this question back to him, but I completely agree. Yeah, makes good sense for sure. Kurt Renault says, just joining after the NFL game, surprised to see another Iowan as a guest. Nonetheless, there you go. You guys are in close proximity. Simon 466 Cards, who will be our guest next Saturday on this show, says discussion about utility equals a discussion fit for an economist's heart. And uh, we're going to have another, we're going to have back-to-back, well, back-to-back-to-back-to-back, I'm sure. Really interesting episodes with Simon 466 next Saturday here on the show, guys. Make sure to join us then. Uh, Okay. Mike Petty says, I've spent more in a month in both my grandparents' homes and the house I grew up in. Ouch, I am a collector. Yes, that is inflation. Yeah, (laughs) it's not that hard to do these days. Okay, Dave, the next question, we did did the rookie card, we did... Uh, then what? We talked about the money. And now the last card, the last question. And this is the one that I think everybody could mm-hmm. apply to themselves when you're building your own framework. And listen, some people in the chat have been collecting for years. You have your frameworks built. That's fine. You're just getting to hear some other ones here. But if you're somebody who is maybe having struggling, perhaps maybe you're buying too much. Maybe you're not buying enough. Maybe you don't like what you bought. Right, Bob Hosta tore down his collection, I believe a, a big portion of it, and rebuilt it up. And he's happier than ever. He's got a whole system, tiered system, and spreadsheets, and all this stuff. You got to listen to that episode, guys, the, on on the shallow end. But the last question that you're about to, sh- to share with us and present to the audience, Dave, I think is one that everybody, I, here I am saying should, and everybody again, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to say it's one that I'm going to start impl- implementing into my personal collecting framework. Please, Dave. Right. And I completely ripped this off from about 100 different people that I heard. It's not original. But the question is, would I buy this card if I wasn't allowed to sell it for 20 years? Right. Right. It's simple. I've heard so many others say it. And I just wanted to incorporate it into my own thinking. And it's just, you got to ask yourself, if you're stuck with this card, can you move, even if, can you at the very least tolerate it? Yeah. I think... That's a, it's a good, if you were forced to not sell it for 20 mm-hmm. years, would you still buy the card? And like, to me, Dave, that's a really easy question to answer because unless I am buying cards, like just to put in my showcase at a show or to trade, which mm-hmm. some, some, I do that sometimes I've always bought cards with the, with the mindset of 20 years. How about 40 or 50? Like that's kind of been where I've been at until as I get older and the decades go by, that number comes down, of course, but that's where, where my mind has always been. So that's very natural uh, to me, but I think, you know, you need to kind of put it, have a time horizon in mind and and ask yourself what, and whether it's, maybe it's not, maybe it's five years for you. Maybe it's this year, you know, some, there's so many different approaches to the way people collect and, and, and transact within the hobby that I think, um, yeah, there's, there's different ways. But I think it's an important question to ask yourself in whatever form makes the most sense to you. 100%. It's just so smart, right? And we've all, I'll just put it on myself, but I've, I've made those mistakes where I've bought a card because I, 
think that I should have it, or I think that I do like this set or whatever. Um, and then, you know, you hear the, the story that you open, you open it. Right. And this is before I was really sort of finding my, my, what I like, you know, and you open it and you think, where was I in the moment that I bought this? Because I don't like it now. Um, and so just the reason that I came up with these six questions, or I didn't come up with all of them, right? The reason that I put these six questions together for myself is just to avoid those situations where, where I, I, I don't have any direction. Um, because since then I, I needed something, I needed to have something because I was just a kite in the wind. Um, and that's just no way to collect. I wanted to have something that I could look at and see some sort of a cohesive message, a cohesive idea behind what I've been, what I was doing. And, um, I'm just much happier now since I've been doing that. Well, I think if you are, you know, you can have buyer's remorse when you purchase cards sometimes, right. Or anything for that matter. And I think buyer's remorse is going to make you feel worse. And so, if so therefore less happy. And if you're, if you have a good framework in place, like six questions you ask yourself before you make a purchase. Now, listen, maybe you're buying cards for five or 10 or 20 bucks. And that doesn't mean much to you. And you don't need to go through the process. It's going to, it's all going to be real. Everyone's going to be different where you fall. You know, I can buy cards for 10 or 20 bucks and I'm not going to think too hard about it. But as soon as I'm spending a couple hundred bucks or even a hundred bucks, whatever it is, I'm going to put even 80 bucks. I might think a bit harder about it. And then if you're getting into the, you know, closer to a thousand, the thousands, well, now I'm thinking about a whole other, I have a whole other set of questions maybe that I'm asking myself, like how much do I really believe in this card? The player, how long do I want to hold it for among maybe a few other things as well? So, okay, those are the six questions. We're going to go to a couple more comments and then I'm going to touch on another episode you did, which kind of ties into uh, this last question we had about the 20 years oc trust attorney says when i have finished collecting maze mccovey and juan marichal i will look to buy key baseball rookies from 1960 to 1980 these were the cards i wanted when i was a kid but could not afford i think that's yeah like right exactly that is a wonderful reason to collect it's not because you should have rookie cards those players it's because you want the cards you couldn't afford when you were a kid and you did want them i think that drives a lot of us today uh in being able to buy things we couldn't when we were younger for sure jake doll says i look at rookie cards as just another card if i want it great if not then oh well there's other cards i like much better i think that's a real liberating way of looking at it uh for sure decoy cards has just joined but excited to play this back later glad i got here for at least one question welcome to the show decoy cards mark santucci i like hockey picked up a bobby or card rogi vashon brian leach i have no gretzky rookies and no gretzky cards and that is that is fair. Okay. Uh, you did an episode that was titled, Should I Sell Everything? Should I Sell Everything? I am I listened to it. I didn't listen to it again, but I listened to it back when it came out. So you'll have to maybe remind me a, a little bit, but why were you even asking yourself the question? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you hear the term grail thrown out all the time and people say things 
I got a grail card. What are your grails? And uh, I don't want to get into the fight about that, but I will say that, you know, if you believe the story, Jesus drank from a grail, right? He didn't have 17 cups that he was hoarding. So I have one grail card and that cup, that cup, that card is the 1948 leaf Jackie Robinson. I love baseball. I love history. I've written a book on sports history, actually. And that is the card. It is the rookie card of the of one of the two most important baseball players ever. And it's one who him and Babe Ruth. And but it's the one who I just respect more, who I just I, I can't even put it really in, into words. And to own that card would be the pinnacle of my collecting. And since I've been into the hobby, it's gone up and up and up. And so the question that I asked, which sort of bordered on one side, it was hypothetical. And on the other side, it was very real, was should I just get rid of it all, get rid of everything that I own and then not, and then get that card, but not get that card and then get out of the hobby, but get that card and then start over knowing that I already have the card that is the most important to me, which it would be. Um, got some really, I was, I was touched by how much feedback I got by people um, some of it public, some of it private. Uh, Jeremy, you reached out and, and, and uh, Matthew 1956 cards reached out and so many other people reached out. Um, I ultimately decided not to do it partially because I realized I just didn't even have enough, right? Even if I would have, would have done it, I'd still be saving for a while, but also uh, just because I enjoy the collecting side of it too much. And I didn't, want to just have one card, even though by now, if I had done it, I would have had a few more by now, started to build back up. But that just seemed like the cornerstone. That seemed like what would have been the rock of my collection. Um, if if I had to pick one card and then had, and then I was booted out of the hobby, um, that would be the one card that I would, if I owned and I was out of the hobby, I would think, okay, I, I miss it. I miss the people. I miss the cards, but I have this, and this is not a card. This is a living piece of history. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk, okay. I have a lot of thoughts going through my head here because there's some, some deep stuff there. When you have one grail, like you do 48 leaf Jackie, if you were to, if you were to move out everything, let's say you had enough and then you pick up the Jackie, you start over. What are you going to start over with? Because you have the card you want the most. So now is anything going to make, are you going to kind of be, are you, are you going to be, less satisfied and gratified with each card you get after that as you rebuild to the point where it's like, well, I got this Jackie. Nothing else is going to scratch that itch for me anymore. So I, I have a concern, a little bit of a, a concern about that. And then I think to myself, okay, if that's the case, then maybe we should have multiple grails. And grail is is not, it's not even the right word technically, but because, you know, there's one grail, let's say, but let's just be liberal here and say, Maybe I should have several grails so that I do have something else that I can chase once I get my number one. Otherwise, I might get bored and disinterested. And maybe that's okay too. To get, you got your, you know, you have your one big card. Maybe that's I know one guy, he's got a he's got a collection worth millions, and he says he'll trade it all for one card. One card. And I think to myself, you're crazy. <laughs> like all for one card. Like thousands of like i i couldn't imagine having one card in my collection i wouldn't consider myself a collector anymore but that's that's fine that's what that's that's his that's his choice and i'm not gonna judge i judge it for me not for him it's like no way could i do that but go for it if that's you that's fine so i'm kind of like 
I'm almost, I'm glad you I'm glad I I kind of glad you didn't do it because I wonder where you'd be today and maybe that would be interesting maybe you do it later we'll follow up a year later and see what what happened but do you see what I mean like what you get that one grail is everything else going to be disappointing after that it's kind of nice to always have something to strive for you know yeah and I think I would I, I would still have lots of chase cards it's just that every other card compared to that one seems less important. Right. So it's not that obviously I value the 59 tops, Bob Gibson. Uh, I, I value the 53 satchel page. I value the mission mentioned the 58 Aaron. Heck, I, I, I value the uh, 2018 Otani, which ever one of the 1500 that you want. Right. But I mean, he is a, he is a generational type player, but it's almost like it, it to me anyway, it's almost as if those cards and those player are they're less worthy than the 48 jackie and that once you know it's you can't build a house without the foundation you can't grow a tree without the trunk and that feels like the trunk you know to me that feels like where everything would grow out of where would i go once i got that i like to think that i go back to some of the cards that i already have now i I just would would have i would not have the let's use the right word i would not have the anxiety that i might never own a Jackie. Um, I could probably get close to one now if I just, again, wanted to sell everything off. Um, and that might just provide some comfort in a way to me, to me um, that, okay, good. I've got the card. I got the most important card. Now let's have some fun, right? Now, let, now let's decorate that house, right? Now let's see those branches grow on that tree. Yeah. You, you find ways, right? You find ways to, to keep, keep interested and, find other things to, that you'd be that you'd want jp says maybe around mount rushmore instead of grail okay so you're limited to four that that's progress right there he then says or members of the round table i'm not sure how many there are 12 or 13 i more progress right there i like i like that thinking jp mookie says how about crown jewel instead of grails lots of other jewels on the crown but there's one crown jewel bigger better than there i like that i, I like all i like all these ideas guys as far as uh ways ways to look at it so yeah i i think um that episode you did guys it was episode 14 of the shallow end that's uh that's dave's podcast and um he he talks he talks about in more depth about the 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 thought the 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 mind pro the thought process about you know consolidation and like would you sell everything for one card i know i certainly wouldn't unless someone was making me a trade that I couldn't turn down and now I, now I could sell that card and get everything back and then some, but there's no, there's no way that I, that I would be a happy person the day after trading all my cards for one card. Even if that card is a T206 Wagner or a PSA 10 52 tops, Mickey Mantle, everything I've, I've, I've been building for 40 plus years now for one card that I, you know, it's cool, but. I'm only doing it for money at that point. The only reason I would want a 52 mantle would be to sell it. That's that's the only reason why, right? And, and same with same with the Wagner. You know, when, whenever I look at Mickey Mantle, all I think is, eh, Maze was better. Yeah. Um, but I but I think now, um, I'm, I'm glad. I think I'm glad I didn't attempt to do that. Um, you know, I might have some fun at the national. I, I don't have a lot of cards. I might throw them all into my box and just bring them and try it there's there's only one card that i did not own at the time um but there's only one card that i think i would leave at home because i think giving it up would be too hard um I just acquired it a few weeks ago so maybe it's sort of the shiny new thing um 
but yeah, I mean, why not? Part of, you know, swimming in the shallow end is, is the cards that were, if there were the cards in the aggregate that I would give up in order to get it. If I actually found a dealer who would want, like say to acquire mine for inventory so that they could fill out their case again, maybe day three of national or something like that. Um, the, the comfort of being on the end that I collect is that they could all basically be acquired again with time and with patience. Um, whereas at my current saving trajectory, if I were to really lock in on that 48 Jackie, I would not be getting anything for probably three to four years. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Okay. All right. Uh, let's, okay. There was one question here. Dot was just asking, should there be a threshold of value to call yourself a, a collector, whatever sport? He says hockey, but it could be any, uh, absolutely not. Uh, Decoy agree says no full stop. Perch says nope. Yeah, absolutely not. And you know, there's, you can have one, one card. In my opinion, you can, you can have one card of a player and, and consider that a player PC. You know, it might grow, might grow. It might not. Maybe, maybe two, maybe you need to, I don't know, but there's no rules. Uh, I think that's the thing. You you can you can call yourself a collector if you've got ten dollars worth of cards. Um, I'm not going to argue with anybody about that. I mean, well, who who might to say what you are or are? That's only only for you to say at that point. Something is really as as simple as collecting. Okay, Dave, we're, we're we're down to about six minutes left in the show. Last summer, end of the summer, you spent like two weeks. All you did was listen to content. I forget how long it was. What did you do and why did you do it and what happened? Tell us, tell that story. Sure. So I listened to 62 hobby podcasts in eight days and that's not off the top of my head. I'm looking at it right now. Um, it was 62 podcasts totaling just under 55 total hours. Um, I did it because I wanted to see if I could do it. Uh, that was, that was part of it. Um, people ask me two things about each morning, right? Why I share everything every morning. Um, and there's always uh, two questions. I get one, why do you do it? And then I explain because as a way of sort of saying thanks and making sure people stick around. But the other big question I get is, is do you listen to them all? And I'd say, no. Um, one is that I, I wouldn't possibly have the time. And two is I don't want to. But then I realized I would, didn't really know the answer to that. Those were sort of my guessing answers. I said, well, I am a teacher. And so I haven't gone back to school yet. My wife's out of town on business. My kids are all working or in camps. Let's give it a shot. One week. Let's see. Let's really see what happens for one week. And so that's why I did it as an experiment. Um, it was awful. <laughs> I will <laughs> never do it again. Um, but that's the reason that I did it is just to see what it would be like to listen to every single piece of hobby content that I could get my hands on for one week. And you did an episode after it where you actually talked about each episode that you listened to mm -hmm. and you, you, describe yeah you and you talked about what you were thinking at the time it was very interesting it was very interesting especially for someone like me whose name was mentioned a few times in the episode because you listened to a few of my podcasts so among with all of them, it, it was great don't get i'm, I'm not I'm, it, was, it was very i was flattered of course that you listened to my podcast in the first place but um but that was interesting and that that's the, your commitment to your craft right there is that you were listening to as many as you could did did listening to them help you with your own podcasting Oh my gosh, 100%. 100% because I realized certain things, not that anybody does anything right or wrong. I just realized what my taste and my style is. Um, for example, I'm not really into a lot of banter. Like there are some shows where they have two hosts and for the first 10 or 15 minutes, they're talking about like, who knows what, like Star Trek movies or something. And I'm, I get so aggravated. I'm like, just get to the point. And so I realized with me, it's like, just start, just go. 
um, which is why my show so often has has uh, cold openings. With you know, I'll do the theme later. Sometimes I just want to start talking. Um, I realized I don't mind shows that talk about current events or scams or scandals or whatever's going on, but I really appreciate the ones. Um, that do their research and are educated about it. And I always want to give a shout out to let me get that potograph um, with Drew and Scott. And right the week that I did that was the same week that Wanda Franco's legal troubles started. And and there were a bunch of uh, uh, p- podcasts that I won't even talk about where they would talk about it, but it was just, you tell they had like sort of like just scanned ESPN for like five seconds and they would say, yeah, we know what we did was terrible. Let's talk about his card values. I'm like, let's not talk about his card values right now. And then Drew and Scott from Let Me Get That Potograph just went, they sourced everything. They went through the research. They were so smart and professional about it that I thought, I'm not sure I want to be a current events guy. But if I ever am, I'm going to use them as an example. Yeah, so good. Yeah, I, re- I remember when you... You know, I, I I know Drew. We've been we've been like pod you know podcast brothers for a while, and uh, he was one of the first guys that ever invited me on on a show to be a guest after I started mine. And when you when you talked about him, I messaged him right away. I said, "Hey, you got to go listen to I, Iowa Dave's uh, podcast because uh, he talks about you, and I think you're gonna like it because you were very complimentary." And you know, Drew works really hard in the hobby. He's uh, he's a dedicated. Uh, hobbyist and podcaster so i knew he I, I i did he ever reach out i just i just know that he was very grateful for that uh, uh drew did uh drew his partner reached out and we had a, some nice back and forth nice that, that that that's very nice to hear um okay as we wrap up you know 2024 is upon us you've done you, you've done so much to, for the podcast community what do you plan what any any specific topics or strategy or plans you have for the shallow end podcast as we roll into 2024 here just sort of generically is i i want to have a nice mix of shows where i just talk about whatever's going on with me and then from now and then break it up with a guest and i really want to bring in some guests uh who are thoughtful who i enjoy following and who aren't always making the rounds on all the shows and so i'd like to bring people who are maybe shy or, or don't think that they have anything to offer and to bring them into the conversation because they really have a lot more to offer than i think good Fair enough. Why don't you show us a few cards? I asked you to bring a few cards. Yes. Let's show the audience a couple of cards from your collection. As you do that, I want to thank you, T Dot, for recognizing or, or at least telling me that I'm getting better at viewer engagement. Thank you, T Dot. I appreciate that comment. Uh, Dave, yeah, let's see a couple of cards from your collection. Yeah, there's three cards here. The third card is going to be the grand finale. It's the one that I was talking about, the one that um, I recently sold 30 plus cards just to be able to get. Um, I'll save that one for last. The first one is uh, the 1992 Topps Gold Berry Bonds here. And uh, one of the first uh, parallels, it's hard to see with there, but you know, we got the gold down yeah. there. Um, I'm a big Berry Bonds fan. I find him relatable. And, and I really, maybe won't go into why, but I've always identified with him a lot. Um, with the, uh, uh, I'm someone who likes credit sometimes. I sometimes let my ego get the best of me. And I fully understand why he started doing uh, what he did. Um, and the next card will, will sort of explain that. But I've always been a Bonds fan. He was the best before PEDs. He was the best after it. Um, I like this card because we also forget that he was such an incredible fielder. He was also a great base runner. He was really the perfect player, I thought. Um, and I love the gold. Uh, when I, when I, this is one of the first times that uh, Tops put something this shiny on a card. And I think it was the beginning of a lot. 
um, of what they were going to do over the next 30 years. So that was the first one that I picked out. Tied to that is this card. It's a 1999 Topps Chrome all etched refractor of Mark McGuire. It's, it's a pop seven oh, um, on this card. Um, Show that again, like, and do this a bit. So we yeah, can really, it's, like, it's look incredible. It. If, if, yeah. if pastel and neon can somehow mix into chrome refractors, this, this card did it. Um, beautiful card. And it's 99. I like 99 Mark McGuire's because 98 was the year that he hit, hit the 70. Um, What's interesting about this card is two things. One is on the back is it lists everybody who is in Club 40, which is everybody who hit 40 home runs in 98. Who is not on that list? Bonds. Because at the time, if you look at the 1998 All-Star game, they're all lining up and you have all these hulks with their inflated muscles full of fluids from the PEDs that they're doing. Bonds hadn't started doing it yet. But that was the year that McGuire and Sosa had their chase and you could just see the jealousy oozing out of him which is why I find him so human because he's here. He is who did everything right up to that point, And he was the best and everybody else. shall we say cheating, um, getting all the notoriety when he didn't do it. So I love that. He's not on this card because he wasn't doing anything yet. And a couple of years later, he's, you know, breaking all sorts of records. Also with this card, I was at the, uh, uh card show in Des Moines, the capital city card convention, which is one of the two major card shows in Iowa each year. Um, I thought I was being so smart. I acquired this card, um, the Griffey as well for this version of PSN 9 plus some cash. And I sold off a 2019, it was a 2019 Otani Heritage out of 573 Chrome PSA 10. And he had just coming, he was coming off that great year in 2022. And I thought, now's the time to sell spring training. This is when you sell Otani cards, right? Never knowing that he was going to go up another notch. And if I had just waited a few, four more months, that card would have gone up more. But it's hard to be too upset getting that card and getting that McGuire card, which is you know, yeah. such a low pop. All right. Grand finale. It's a 1954 Red Heart Stan Musial. Um, like I said before, I don't really think Musial has a rookie card. He just has a first card. He has the 48 leaf. He's got that black and white Bowman shot. Um, but for me, his 54 Red Heart is my favorite card of his. It's the color match. It's so bright and vivid. And so I just got it in about a week and a half ago. Um, sold about 30 plus cards and put some other cash to go with it. Um, and so here is this card. Yeah. You know, um, the car so, so nice. Yeah. The card is notoriously off center usually. Um, and this one is not, I found one centered. Um, and so it's just fantastic. Um, it's a PSA. Here, I'm just gonna, Dave, I'm just going to uh, shorten your name. Can you show it again so we can see the whole thing? I just oh, want to, yeah. Yeah. Want to really have a look. now? Is this is is Red Heart? Is that the dog food company? It is. It's the dog food company. So there's only twenty or so cards or so. It's um, a dog food card guys. That's so cool. It's the and greatest. If, in I, the if I recall correctly, one of the biggest cards you are after, I think, in 2024, is also from that set. Is that right? No, I would like a Red Shandies out of it. Um, I thought you were looking for the mantle. Didn't you say you wanted the mantle? No. Mm -mm. Okay. My no, bad. not really. I'm not really a mantle guy. Um, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind putting the set together, and the mantle would have to be the next. Would have to be the other one. It's the only one with any real value. When did you acquire the usual? About a week and a half ago. Okay, so that must be what I'm thinking because I, yeah. I was listening to a podcast where you said I want to. Yeah, I'm going to get the red heart. I and must have. Heard, yeah, and okay. it was the museal, right? And so that was the one that was high on my list. Um, thrilled to get it. Um, I haven't bought anything since. Right? I'm, I'm yeah. filling up. I'm filling up the coffers again. 
Um, but I'm, I just love having that card. It, it's uh, it's Musial's best. And being from St. Louis, that was a dream card. It's a beauty for sure, for sure. All right, well, I'm going to run through a few more comments here. We're going to wrap up, guys. So get your final comments into the chat. And uh, Mark says he's sort. Mark, you don't have to apologize for being late, buddy. But I appreciate you being here uh, every Saturday night. Hope everything is well for you out east. Mark wants to know, Dave, do you have any 80s cards? Mattingly, Ripken, Ripken and Boggs. He wasn't here at the beginning of the show. We talked about that earlier, Mark. But uh, you do, Dave, don't you? I do. In fact, episode one of The Shallow End is about me finally picking up the 84 Don Russ, uh, Don Mattingly. Yeah, I've got it. And guys, again... Um, Dave is on Instagram. He is, and I'll, I, I took the, I took your name off the the screen there, but it's Iowa underscore Dave underscore Sports Cards. That's how you follow Dave Schwartz on Instagram, and of course his podcast is called The Shallow End. And just look at the look at the YouTube thumbnail for this video, and you'll see that it's the yellow ID logo. You can't miss it. And um, I'll tell you, like I don't, li- I listen to some podcasts. I do. I don't know how many I listen to, but. Dave's is one that I he's like he's a, the pretty much at the top of my list guys for ones that I enjoy listening to so highly recommend you check out Dave's podcast I don't think you'll regret it I think you'll enjoy it and they're a lot shorter than mine so uh although you you do go get up to an hour sometimes don't you with a guest I will for sure yeah with, with the guest Dan's Vintage says terrific show gentlemen a thinking man's collector like Dave is such an asset to the hobby well said Dan couldn't agree more thank you Mookie says, one of the reasons I need these cards is because they are a passport into this great community. Thanks for under, uh, out, thanks for an outstanding episode, Jeremy. Thank you, Mookie. And that's, I, I get that. I get that. It, 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 I, always, I, 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 I always say, you know, it's nice to build rapport with people. It's why we like each other because we feel rapport. And I think rapport comes from having something in common. So when you are, you know, you meet, you, you run into somebody who's looking at their, if you're, if you're like, Adam, you're on the bus or you're walking through the airport. You see somebody looking at cards. Are you not going to go up and say, hey, what are you doing? Like you probably are. You know right away that you're probably going to be able to have a conversation and maybe get along with them because you have something in common, that sort of instant rapport to a degree. Hobby Champs, you take care as well. Northern Lights Entertainment, thanks for joining us tonight. Yes, it is cold up north. Recently, thank you, Professor, for being here. Says, need to hit the thumbs up on this great video. Only eight so far. Thank you, Professor. Sure, guys, hit the thumbs up if you don't mind. Mike says, lots to think about after this episode. Great episode. Thank you very much, Mike. OC Trust Attorney is going to buy an 84 Donruss Mattingly because I remember it being the first card people went crazy for and had some level of scarcity and was notoriously hard to find well-centered. I remember those days as well myself. Tom Bullard, nah, just didn't update, Professor. It was like 28 <laughs> likes. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate that. Easier to understand terms when I was the 28th person to like it. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that. Thanks for being here, Tom. All right, guys. Well, Dave, going to give you uh, the final word, and then we are going to sign off for this episode of Sports Cards Live. Jeremy, thanks for having me. I've had a really good time. I love talking cards. And to your audience, thank you so much. This is one of the best audiences anywhere in the hobby. So thank you, everyone, and take care. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. Guys in the chat, guys and ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you, Cardboard Corner. Appreciate that. Very May loves both shows. That's awesome. Guys, tomorrow night I'll be back with Josh Madigan of the Hockey Cards Gong Show where we will be 
talking about cards for sale on the PLBCC Weekly Hockey. Always fun and educational. And then Monday night is the the most action you'll find in the hobby on MC Mondays Live here, where we're going to be covering all the cards ending one minute apart. It's a ton of fun. Join me and Michael Hathaway from MC Sports Cards for that. And you got to check it out. It's, it's a really fun show. Please join us. And again, next Saturday on Sports Cards Live, Simon 466, The Economist will be my guest. He's got a YouTube channel. Check it out as well. Always very, uh, very thoughtful and uh, analytical and data and uh, presents very well. Perch, thank you so much, guys. And with that, everybody, this episode of Sports Cards Live is now over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.